Happy Thanksgiving. I guess it's, is it Merry Christmas too, right now? We doing that? Elizabeth says she put lights up already. Don't even, like, let's go. She told me not to be a Grinch at work. But no, Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I know that you probably have some family members that are out, some brothers and sisters that are out, but this is my home. Uh, this is the crib, as we say, and, and I'm amongst my people. So um, I'm happy to be here with you this morning as we have finished up our series in Colossians for the past eight weeks. Uh, we're thankful that Sojourn lent us Pastor Andy as he held it down in Colossians chapter 4 to close us out um, with our glorious hope uh, in community. And so we start a new series today, Advent, Advent. And Advent, I was telling some of the fellows earlier that this season, Advent has not taken on a new meaning because the, the meaning hasn't changed, but it's hit me in a different place. And uh, I hope that you come join us over the next several weeks as we uh, welcome back Pastor Michael next week. Uh, we'll probably go to his house at 12 o'clock when his sabbatical is up and, and have a parade. And so thank you for letting us shepherd you well. I hope we've shepherded you, shepherded you well. hope that we've been faithful to the word and that God has been glorified in his absence. But we do uh, wait with great anticipation for him to come back. We love him. Uh, make them feel welcome when you see them. We hope that the Lord has given them rest and, and peace. And I know that uh, he is a great communicator of God's word. And I look forward to taking more sermon notes and more preaching notes as a personal note uh, on how I can grow in my craft. But I, we love you, Pastor Michael. We love you, Aaliyah, Emery, Thea, and the puppy. So welcome to our Advent series. And you might hear a, a common theme in our series, when Jesus shows up. When Jesus shows up. And so this morning, I'm going to be reading from two different texts. So stick with me. Um, it's Matthew 1, 18 through 25. That's when the angel Gabriel encounters Joseph. And then it's Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. That's when the archangel Gabriel encounters Mary. So I'll be kind of going back and forth, but for your own reading, Matthew 1, 18 through 25, Luke 1, 26 through 38. So I'm going to start off by reading the Matthew passage, and then I'm going to bookmark here. I'm going to come over to Luke chapter 1. Matthew 1, 18 to 25. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you ought to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Jesus. 
Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had, has, had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son and named him Jesus. Hopping over to Luke. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. The angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be since I've not had sexual relations with the man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One... To be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. The angel. Then the angel left her. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this place expecting the coming of Christ. May we not only know that he is coming, but we know and believe that he is coming. Father, you have been faithful in your word that you said that Jesus would be born to a virgin, and it happened, Father. Your yes was yes in that moment. And Father, we anticipate the second coming of Christ too, Father, that you say that he will come down from the sky, the trumpets will sound, the clouds will break, and those of us in Christ will be lifted up and we will see him and be like him. And so, Father, help us celebrate God with us when Jesus shows up, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I propose to you that in all of the human experience, in every channel of the human existence, in all acts of the human drama, there are few themes that rival a hero's coming to save the people. Follow me for a second. In the world of sports, the Chicago Cubs, my beloved Chicago Cubs, as of 2015, had been without a World Series for 108 years the longest drought in MLB history. And yes, you are getting a sports reference because a visiting pastor gave you a sports reference and you liked it, so I'm going in. The Cubs had been without a World Series for 108 years. They were dubbed the lovable losers. The longest drought in MLB history. Then one day, some random day in the fall or summer, I don't know, 
They hired a man by the name of Theo Epstein. Theo Epstein, former GM of the Boston Red Sox. Now, you might say, well, what's the big deal here? Well, many people in Chicago believe that Theo Epstein was going to change Chicago sports for the Cubs forever, that he was going to change their fortune from being lovable losers to winners. Many were claiming victory even before the first pitch was thrown out, even before a ball was batted and a run was scored. Now, I need to explain something to you. Theo Epstein was the general manager of the Chicago Cubs. This wasn't a player, this wasn't a coach, this wasn't a trainer. His job was essentially to create a roster, to put together a roster of men on the team for the Chicago Cubs via trade from other teams, via draft picks, and free agency. So his job was to put together a winning team. Chicago felt that the wait was going to finally be over to capture the coveted World Series title after 108 years. The Chicago Cubs, since 1908 until 2015, had appeared in seven World Series games. Series. In seven World Series. A World Series is seven games. So they appeared in the World Series seven times from 1910 to 1945. Old history, but you get it. 1910, the Cubs lose to the Philadelphia Athletics four games to one. They lost. 1918, the Cubs are shut out with no runs in game one by Babe Ruth. Yes, Babe Ruth threw a no-hitter, <laughs> threw, a, threw, a, threw a scoreless game, I should say, against the Cubs in 1918, and they lost to the Boston Red Sox four games to two. In 1929, game four of the World Series says it all. The Cubs were up eight to nothing in the seventh inning and ended up losing the game 10 to eight, and they eventually lost the World Series that year. Let's try again. 1938. The Bronx Bombers, the New York Yankees, swept the Cubs four games to nothing. Mm. 1945, it gets better, right? Nope. The Detroit Tigers, and this was dubbed the wartime classic during World War II, beat the Cubs in the World Series four games to three. The Cubs lose again. Modern day, 2003, the Cubs are in the championship game, which is right before the World Series starts. It's kind of the finals of their uh, conference. They're five outs away from going to the World Series for the first time since 1945. 95 years and counting up to this point since the lovable losers had been in the Fall Classic. The Cubs are up three games to two in Chicago. Now myself, young Pastor Lance Whippersnapper, I'm a freshman in high school, 2005, yeah, I'm a sophomore. I'm a sophomore in high school, and I'm in my buddy's basement wearing my Sammy Sosa jersey, and I'm lifting weights, and I'm trying to get strong because I think I'm going to be on the Cubs one day, and I was playing baseball, and I thought, man, this is it. We're going to win it this year. We're going to the World Series, and I'm going to watch it. I'm going to see history, but uh, you guessed it. After a series of fielding errors and one dreadful foul ball that was hit down the left field line, Moises Alu, our veteran left fielder, was about to reach up and catch it, but a fella by the name of Steve Bartman 
wearing headphones and, a, and glasses and a sweater and a turtleneck. He thought he was going to get a souvenir. Essentially, he put his hand up as well. Moises Zalu, our player, our left fielder, could not catch the ball. The Marlins go on to win the National League Championship Series. Then they go to the World Series, and they win the World Series. Steve Bartman had to leave Chicago, go incognito, and live in Florida. That is a true story. If you look it up, that is a true story. We don't even know what my man looks like to this day. That's a shame on fans' part. I wouldn't blame him for that. He was no longer welcome to show his face. The Cubs would lose. In 2015, the Cubs were swept by the New York Mets. Those New York teams, they swept us in four games. But finally, in 2016, the Cubs won the World Series. It took seven games, extra innings, but we beat the Cleveland Indians four games to three. And yes, I stayed up all night. My wife was asleep. It was like two in the morning, and I'm celebrating by myself in silence not to wake her up. Many people look back at the Theo Epstein signing and say, that's the reason the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. After all, Theo had erased the curse of the Bambino with the Red Sox because they won. They had the second longest World Series drought, and now we hired them, the Chicago Cubs, and now after 108 years, he helped us. So, man, it must be Theo, right? So we can now turn our eyes to Israel and all of humanity. Israel, for 42 generations. Man, they was close, right? Adam, he looked good, couldn't get it done. Moses, he looked good. He was strong. He killed a guy, couldn't get it done. Isaiah had a mouthpiece. Jeremiah, sensitive fella, couldn't get it done. Couldn't get it done. For 42 generations, they were waiting for their man. And the human existence since the Garden of Eden, we've been waiting for our man to come and deliver. New Reed Church, brothers and sisters, that man is Jesus. Jesus is that man. Jesus is literally the reason for the season. Advent is upon us. Advent, the Latin word is Adventus. The Greek word is parousia, a word used for both the coming of Christ in the human flesh and the second coming. We celebrate the coming of Christ because Jesus is that man. Matthew's gospel opens up with a mic drop of a genealogy, right? If anyone who was in Israel had any doubts that Jesus was the Messiah, they need look no further than the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus being in the line of Abraham said, this man was a true Jew. He was a true Jewish descendant. This is important. Why? Because they believed that the Messiah would be Jewish. Fourteen generations later, we see David listed in the genealogy. David's name is important in the genealogy because the king of Israel would come from the line of David as spoken by the prophet Nathan in Samuel 7.16. It reads, Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. That's God's prophetic word to David. And so the fact that David is Jesus' grandpa, man, Jesus is that dude. All signs are pointing that he's that man. So I want to title this sermon this morning, When Jesus Shows Up, It Will Make Us Believe the Unbelievable. 
when Jesus shows up, it will make us believe the unbelievable. And I'm going to jump right into my first point. Point one, we believe God when he speaks. We believe God when he speaks. Matthew 1, 20 to 24. But after he had considered these things, this is Joseph, because remember, the angel was speaking to Joseph, and Joseph is told that Mary, his wife, had conceived from the Holy Spirit. But after he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, which goes on to say, see the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel, the Lord's angel had commanded him, he married her. So Joseph, minding his own business, is told that his boo, his betrothed, is pregnant, and it's not him. So betrothed, right, meaning that uh, they had agreed to be married. They were as good as married for one year leading up to the consummation of the marriage. For Joseph to hear that his beloved betrothed was going to carry a child that he did not conceive with her and then to be instructed to take her as his wife and then name the child not after him who would be his, essentially kind of like his firstborn, but name him something else. To follow through on all of that is to take God at his word. Joseph had to look beyond his own reason. He had to come up out of his feelings and do right, not just by Mary, but by God himself. Joseph had to believe several things at once. Joseph was to believe that he was the father to a child, but not the natural father. Joseph had to believe that Mary would be his wife, but in the context of Jewish purity law, he could have divorced her quietly to keep his reputation intact, or he could have divorced her publicly, and that could have brought shame on both of them, possibly a stoning or possibly just great shame. But scripture gives us a clue as to what Joseph would do. Verse 19 describes Joseph as a righteous man. So for him to keep her as his wife and trust the law of Moses simultaneously, which ordered death by stoning in Deuteronomy 22, would not be carried out on him, but taking God at his word. He had to take God at his word in real time. Church, we can try to get a 10 out of 10 on the law, but we not. It was never possible for you or me to complete that law, to do right all the time. But the man who would be able to keep the law was Jesus. Jesus was that dude, and that dude was about to show up. And then we have sis Mary in Luke chapter 1. And her story reads a little bit like this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. 
Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. We talked about that. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who is called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary replies, See, I am the Lord's servant. And Mary, may it happen to me. And Mary said, May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. A few things to draw out of Mary's encounter with the angel. In real time, Mary is hearing as a young girl, context has us to believe that she could have been a late teenager, a young teenager, but she was young, was going to carry the Savior of the world. A few days later, she goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, for three months. Elizabeth is carrying John the Baptist. And she stays with Elizabeth for six months. All we can deduce is that she probably stayed there as a cousin to see her big cousin give birth to her little cousin, right? And the beauty about that is it says that if you go back and read that John the Baptist leapt and Elizabeth blessed that pregnancy and John the Baptist leapt. So even in, in water, John the Baptist was doing ministry before he got on this side of ministry to baptize Jesus. That's a beautiful picture. He was, he was doing ministry in the womb, y'all. <laughs> and so she went to go visit her cousin, and she trusts God. Then the angel left her. She wasn't muted. She wasn't rebuked. She committed her life to the Lord's will for her life in that moment. And the great irony is, of course, if you look at uh, Zachariah, right, her other cousin, this man was in, held in high regard and prestige. He would have had the Bible, he, well, the Old Testament. He would have had prophecy. And so when the angel spoke to him, he didn't take God at his word. He said, how can this be? My wife is barren and she's old. He got muted. Mary, not having Jewish Bible reading at her disposal, not of noble status, believed God in real time. She had to believe a lot of things in real time. Mary had to believe that 2 Samuel 7, 16, that the Messiah would come to the line of David, was for her. Mary had to believe Psalm 132. The Lord swore an oath to David, a promise he will not abandon. I will set one of your offsprings on your throne. Mary had to believe Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Mary had to believe God at his word. Mary had to believe that God of Israel, the creator of the universe, would use her, not because of how great she was, not because how much Torah she remembered, not because of her outstanding reputation in the community, but because he told her. 
So for us, when we read our Bible, when we deep dive into the pages of Scripture, into God's covenants, promises, truths, decrees, commands, and prophecies, do we just see them as mere truth on an island, or do we see them as truth that corresponds with our reality? Do I look at the pages of Scripture and say, no, that's for me, that is for me in the here and now, that is for me in eternity past, in eternity present, and eternity future? We must take God at his word while living his word, knowing the word became flesh and the word is coming back, not void, but fulfilled and on a white horse. We take God at his word. Let us not look at Mary and Joseph and think they're over there. They're detached from us. How does that even apply? Some of us need God to show up and tell us a few things. Some of us need God to show up and tell us that you know what? Not how great a parents we are, but that his word says about, but what his word says about the family of God. Some of us need God to show up and tell us not how diligent we've been to love our spouses, because we can't always do that perfectly, but to tell us how faithfully he has loved us according to his promises and his word. Some of us need God to show up and tell us and remind us that it's not how great we are, but how great thou are. Some of us need God to show up and tell us not to point to a scripture verse that we have memorized, but to show us how remarkably true and faithful that verse is. So, we believe God when he speaks. Second point, we believe in the supernatural. We believe in the supernatural. Matthew 1.20 but after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what, he has, been, what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, and the angel appears to him. Consider how Joseph felt at this time. He heard that his girl was pregnant before they consummated the marriage. However, the Lord is kind enough to visit Joseph and to tell him what's going on. The text says that Joseph was a righteous man. He knew the law and the consequences, both civically and spiritually, as we talked about earlier. The angel of the Lord visits Joseph in a dream and tells him not to be afraid. Joseph, son of David. And I suppose Joseph knows his heritage more than we know his heritage, right? Because he's in the line of David. Joseph had to believe God was going to do something supernatural using his natural. He had to believe God on his own word. Up to this point, God had created man in three fashions. He creates Adam from the dust, right? He creates Adam from the dust and breathes in his nostrils. He creates Eve from Adam from his side, from his rib. Eve is Adam's prime rib, right? And then he uses the family structure to create people, right? So there's generations, right? And so what I love about ah, the beauty of Matthew's introduction here is that if you go back and look at Genesis 1, man, it parallels Matthew in a sense that you're looking at Genesis, the generations of the world, right? And how that was created. Matthew 1 says, I got, I'll do you one even better. I'm going to give you the generations of the one who created the world. That's a beautiful thing, y'all. 
That was, that was a sidebar. So, God is creating men and women, but in this particular time, he's about to do something different. This is about to be a one-time flex by God to create his one and only begotten son. One and only, born of a virgin, not to be impregnated by Joseph, even as directed by God to name his child after him, his father. Notice, Joseph, if he has a boy, might naturally say, man, this is my firstborn. But Joseph is taking his cues from the child's true father. When he's born, I need you to name him something because I told you to, right? You ought to name him Jesus, verse 21 says. Yes, Jesus was a common name in those days. Jesus can be translated Messiah. Difference being, this child would be conceived by the Holy Spirit. This child would be conceived supernaturally. Of course, the angel talks to Mary too, Luke 1, 28 through 37. The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's the supernatural meeting our natural. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even as she conceived in her old age, this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. So Elizabeth had previously been barren. The angel was telling her, look, God can do this because you've seen it already. Some of us just need to look up and see what God is already doing, right? Like a supernatural thing isn't like going to see a Marvel movie like, oh, uh, there's vibranium. No, like, man, you've got victory over sin. Like, you're not who you once were. You're a new person, right? Like, that's supernatural. Like, the stuff you used to like or the stuff that you used to not like, you now don't like, and you now like. That's supernatural, right? Like, you can't will yourself into salvation. You can't will yourself into being a new creature in Christ Jesus. That is a supernatural event. It's not pie in the sky. It's right here in your heart. Nothing for nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 37, right? And so this is, but ladies, I, I, I got to say this, this is not a prescription for future births, right? And so um, Jesus, God is not going to be the man of your dreams in this sense. So if anybody tells us they're pregnant and it's from God, then we might question that. But my point is, God told Joseph what to name his son. His son, his only begotten son. We acknowledge that birth in general. I asked my wife this and I got her approval. Um, we acknowledge that birth is a supernatural thing. From the time a child is conceived to all that has to go right to the gestation period. That's like the nine months, kids, I guess. And like from coming out of the womb, whether it's in water, whether it's all the ways that a woman can give birth and all of that, the umbilical cord, like still get nutrients. Like I probably know a little too much right here, but like, but that's a supernatural thing. Like birth is a supernatural thing. And Jesus being born of a virgin, that's good for us. Here's why. <laughs> Jesus did not have a sin nature. 
Jesus has God's nature. Jesus did not have a family that was just natural. He, he was part supernatural, right? He was, well, actually, he was 100% supernatural, 100% man, 100% God. So Joseph being the father of Jesus biologically was not going to work out because Joseph had a sin nature, nature and Jesus needed to be sinless with God's nature. 